Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Throwback Bookstack podcast. Uh, my name is Kelly, and I'm one of your hosts today. And I'm Emily. And this is a podcast where Emily and I sit down and we have conversations about the books that we read as kids. I mean, this is our chance to sort of go back, reread the books of our youth, and sort of revisit them and see, are they still worth reading? What do we remember? What did we forget completely? So our first book that we're going to read today is Dealing with Dragons by Patricia Reedy, which is the first book of four, I believe, in a series. Yeah, this is the first book in a series about four, and it's kind of like a fantasy world where obviously dragons are real and it has a lot of tropes about making fun of fairy tales and stuff. And I remember reading it and I remember liking it a lot, a lot. This is one of my favorite books when I was younger. This is one of my favorite series when I was younger. I actually thought it was interesting because if you've read the whole series before, in her intro, she talks about how this actually, she wrote the last book first, and then her editor was like, hey, that book was great. You should go back and write more about some of these tiny characters and how they got here. And I read this one, like, I remember reading this one, but I didn't read the rest of the series, so... To me, this is the main character. I don't actually have a context for the rest of the series, so when you say that, I'm like, wait, but... But she's the main character in all of them, right? Surely this is her... Emily is shaking her head. So this is not her adventure for four books. Okay. Um, But yeah, I remember reading this as a kid, but I don't remember a lot of the details. I remember I really liked it. I really liked dragons. I really thought it was fun. And I kind of read it and then put it aside. So I have warm memories, but not a lot of specifics. I read it probably in elementary school. Sounds about right. So I think to me, I really wanted to reread it just because... I loved books about dragons as a kid. I read every book about dragons. And so for me, revisiting it was a lot of fun to do. I was never huge into dragons or anything. I'm I so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know how this book fell into my hands. I'm not sure. How did you read all of them then? I read one. I don't know. Uh, but this did get me into, after I read this and read the whole series and kind of loved it, is maybe the start of when I started reading fantasy. And especially when I started loving redone fairy tale type things. That's a whole genre, basically, of, like, young adults and... I feel like that's a genre I've bought a lot of books in, but they've been sitting on my to-read shelf, and I should probably fix that problem. Yeah, that was a whole thing for me for, like, three years of my life. And that was before the internet was really a thing, so I was always, like, just trying to go off book titles, like, do you think this is a retelling of Sleeping Beauty, but it's dark and gritty? That's what I'm looking for. There's a rose on the cover that's covered in blood. Right. But this is not... And it's not... called something like Rose Red. But this is not dark and gritty. It's just fun and... It's so much fun. And the characters are great. Um, I Like I said, I read this so much when I was little that I remembered everything about it. So it actually made it hard to read because the plot itself was really boring to me. I was like, I know this already. I don't care. I think that is a contrast because I remembered nothing. So it was really fun to be like, this is so great. I love this as a kid. Why didn't I read this more? I should have definitely read this more. So I guess this is a good point for us to get into sort of what the book was actually about. Um, One thing to know, we will always be spoiling everything in our podcast. So if this is a book you want to read without knowing what happens, maybe step away right now. Go read it. It'll take a day. Come back to it afterwards. It won't take you a day. But yeah, go read it, come back. But we are about to tell you everything that happens, so you have been warned. So this book, like I said, is the first in four. So it's setting up a lot of things, but it's basically about a princess who I will call Cimarron, because I've been calling her that since, like, 1990, and I'm not going (laughs) to change now. I don't care if it's the wrong way to pronounce it. She doesn't fit into what is proper. As stated, they live in kind of a fairy tale world, so it has very, like, a structure of, like, princesses are all short and blonde and sweet, 
and they don't try to learn how to sword fight or cook or do anything fun, really. They learn how to curtsy and when to scream if they're being kidnapped by a dragon. And she is constantly getting into trouble for trying to sneak away and learn these skills, like cooking and sword fighting. And her parents kind of despair of what to do. And she finally, they take her away to a different kingdom and she finds out that they're going to make her marry this prince. And she does not like him because he's just kind of blah. He's nice, but he's dumb. And like, she's really cool. So she takes advice from a talking frog because again, that's the world they live in. That's what you do. And runs away. And goes to the dragons. And the dragons are known for sometimes, you know, kidnapping princesses and keeping them until they're rescued, as in fairy tales. But no one has ever volunteered to be a princess before. So there's some talk among them, like, does anyone want an improper princess? But one of them does. It's a dragon named Kazul. And so Cimarron and Kazul are set up together, and that's the main chunk of the book, is just her adventures living there, what she does. Which is mostly like, organize Kazul's library, cook her food, meet other princesses that have been kidnapped, make friends with some of those princesses and enemies of others, <laughs> travel to the enchanted forest and meet a witch named Morwen who is friends with Kazul, and learn about the wizards. And the wizards are kind of like the dragon's enemy. They have all these treaties and accords of where they're allowed to go and not, because wizards in this world basically steal magic from the dragons in this way that makes it, it's like the dragons are basically allergic to them. So the wizards are kind of starting to like pop up more and more and be sneaking around and people are trying to figure out what the wizards are up to, because they're obviously up to something sketchy, and that's the underlying mystery of the book is like, what are these sketchy wizards doing? And Cimarron spends a lot of time acting like she's a like innocent princess who knows nothing to try and get the wizards to trust her in a way so that she can find out what they're up to. <laughs> like, oh no, I just left this book in Latin lying out. I can't read it. I don't know which way words go. <laughs> um, eventually, her and the other princess she's made friends with, Alinora, discover that the wizards are gathering this thing called Dragon's Bane, which is a plant that will kill dragons if they ingest enough of it. Um, but by the time they find that out and tell the dragons, it's too late and someone has killed the king of the dragons. And then there's like a like a magical dragon version of the sword in the stone type thing where <laughs> there's a magical rock that picks the next king but they all have to try and carry this... Ru it's weird, guys. Okay. Anyway, so they're trying to find the next king of dragons, and Cimarron discovers that the wizards, who probably killed the last king, are teaming up with one of the other dragons to cheat at this contest magical picking thing to get this bad dragon to be king. They're using their wizard magic to influence this magical rock. And so they manage to thwart that, and then um, it turns out that Kazul becomes the king, the rock chooses her, and then the bad dragon is kind of dealt with in like a kind of weird way, where it it's basically, no one does anything, they just state all his crimes, and somehow, magically, they all kind of surround him and are like, you weren't acting like a dragon should act. Because of that, he turns into a toad. And that's it. Like, I guess there's just some sort of weird thing that's never before mentioned in the book where if you don't act like a dragon, you won't get to stay a dragon. 
I have so many questions about the history of dragons after this. Yeah, there's the the ending is a little rushed. But basically, this whole book is just setting up that Kazul is the king. The wizards are kind of in this weird fight with the dragons. And Cimarron is awesome. And also, like, getting to know this fairy tale world. Is that a decent summary? <laughs> I think so. That covers everything. There's, it's a really sort of meandering book in a lot of ways. A lot of small things happen, but they're so fun that it feels like a lot more happens in the book than it does. It's like... You get really excited about this point where you realize all she did was basically reorganize the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of chapters that kind of lead nowhere. And that's fine because you just enjoy being around her and spending time in this world. But there's a lot of just like, she met this fun person for one chapter or she did this one thing. So much of the book is really about her snarking with Kazool and a lot of the sort of fun back and forth in the her versus the world around her is a major part of it. So a lot of the fun is kind of in... Her responding to very archetypal fairy t- fairy tale situations in sort of unexpected and unamused ways. Yeah, and that's the best part of the book. The dragon politics this time around, reading it, knowing the plot, really bored me. Every time they were explaining how the dragon world works or like why they don't like wizards, I was like, I get it. See, I was into it. I loved everything about these Weasley wizards and how terrible they were. Because wizards always get a really good reputation or they're bad in a really dramatic way here they're bad in just a really obnoxious way and i really enjoyed that they seemed a lot more like i think other sort of generic bad guys in a way that's just kind of like they're annoying and there's a lot of them and you're, they're just all kind of weaselly and that's not i think normally how wizards they either are like really good or the big bad and so i kind of like this, this they're just annoying and terrible and we hate them sort of vibe yeah I was more into, like, I love all of Cimarron's attempts to, like, thwart the world, kind of. Like, um, she's with the dragons, and so her dad has been like, she was kidnapped by dragons, even though she volunteered. And so he puts the the usual prize out, which is you rescue a princess, you get her hand in marriage, and half the kingdom. So, of course, all these knights and princes start showing up to rescue her, because they all want the reward. And she's like, ugh, stop it. I'm not going to be rescued. I'm not even letting you meet the dragon. Get out of here. And so a lot of it is her trying to think of different ways to dissuade them, which involve things like spreading rumors that she broke her leg and couldn't possibly go home for another month, or putting up signs on the road that say, like, road washed out, use alternate route. The road signs were my favorite. She's just out there putting up these road signs, and it was amazing. Like, I laughed so hard at that sequence. And it's also great because it also shows how much some of the princes didn't necessarily want to be in the situation, because... You know, her prince that she was supposed to marry to comes up there and it basically is, doesn't really want to marry her, but it's expected that he sort of do this and he doesn't really want to fight a dragon. Some of the excuses, I hurt my leg. I can't. I just, I got to stay here. He's like, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. I'm going to go and I'll, I'll be back. So I think the willingness of all the princes to be like, yeah, this all, this all makes perfect sense was also pretty great where... While they are adhering to sort of the narrative expectations of them, their sort of boredom and unwillingness is pretty, also pretty fun. And Cimarron is great. She's, she's great at everything. Of, yeah, she's kind of um, she's amazing. brutal a little bit. And just like, she's just so plain spoken. And I love that about her. That's one of the things I remember most and I think had the biggest impact on me when I was little. One of the quotes I really remembered was, before she runs away, she goes to talk to the prince, the Andril, the Andil, 
Thrandall? I don't know. <laughs> she goes to talk to the prince about getting married to her, and she's like, uh, but you don't want to marry me, right? And he's like, no. And he's like, but I guess I have to. And while they're having this conversation, he's like playing basically with all these weapons and armor, just like laying around, but he doesn't really know what he's doing, and she does. And I remember at one point he picks up a sword and it's like, beautiful, it's got jewels or whatever. And he's like, look at this sword, isn't it great? And she's in the middle of this important conversation about them getting married. And she just takes it and goes, balances off, and then hands it back. And it's, all her interactions are like that. They're just like, to the point, and just like, no, you idiot. <laughs> like, And that's one of the fun part about her with Kazul is the dragons are also into efficiency in their own way. And so she just fits in perfectly where she just... She has someone who also appreciates the fact that she's just here, does her job, is very good at it. If you're really into competency, she's an amazing character. She's incredibly competent at basically everything she comes across, but in a way that like is totally fun and totally makes sense. This book is setting up a lot of future books where once I knew that this was the prequel and not the first book in that it how it was written, it made a lot more sense to me. I was like, oh, I get it. Now it makes I feel like I'm going to have to read these other books. You definitely are. But this is definitely like um, filling in the world of the backstory of why the wizards and dragons are not on friendly terms and stuff. Do the wizards keep being super weaselly? Yeah. But also kind of like also idiots. (laughs) Like, And it's weird to have a bad guy who it's like uh, you're not that smart. And, like, she always keeps saying it. There's one point where a wizard doesn't vanish away, and she's like, yeah, it's probably because he's not that good. (laughs) And, like, she doesn't know any magic, so it's like... She's judgmental in the best ways. You're just like, yeah, you should be judging them like that. The other thing, are you, are you, are you a Discworld person? No, I've never read those. Okay. For me, like, it made sense I liked this, because it's... It seems to me kind of really related to my love of the witches books in Discworld, especially Morwen, because the witches are kind of in a similar situation where they have very certain expectations for what witches are supposed to do. And, you know, Discworld sort of plays a lot of times with certain archetypes of a fantasy world. And they are also, you know, Granny Weatherwax is very also very, you know, she's a very reasonable person in a very unreasonable world, which is what I really that a reasonable person in an unreasonable world where everyone thinks the world is incredibly reasonable because it exists within certain tropes. And it's that exact same thing. So for me, like, that progression made perfect sense of, oh, of course I enjoy this. Like, I love Granny Weatherwax. And there's definitely the same sort of feel there and a same sort of snark and a same sort of absolute sense, very sensible characters to an extreme. And I really was like, man, I was a Discworld person. I want to get a kid into Discworld someday. This is the like the route I would take. These are the seeds I would plant to get them to into Discworld down the line. Hey, little kid, I want you to read Discworld because that's great. I'm just going to hand you dealing with dragons and I'm just going to train your mind up right now. Yeah, I've never read Discworld, so I have no opinion on that. My opinion but... is therefore correct. <laughs> since I am the only one in the conversation who, who has the opinion. But she definitely does have being the only reasonable voice in this crazy world. The one example I think jumps to mind for me is uh. There's one part where they accidentally unleash a djinn, and he's going to kill them. And first off, he, he's like, I'm going to kill you and your lover there. And she's like, my what? And he's like, you know, the, the, the guy you're with? And he gets super uncomfortable, and she's like, first off, I just want you to know that we are not together. <laughs> <laughs> because priorities. Right. And then he's like, well, 
I guess it doesn't matter. And she's like, no, it matters. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, don't you want to know why I'm going to kill you? And she's like, ah, not really. Like, what's the matter? You said you were going to kill me. Don't, you know, it's not going to change that. I just love it because this like, and then he just keeps being taken aback. Like, this is not how I'm normally met. I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> which is kind of how a lot of people take her. Which is also one of the reasons why when she does make friends, it makes sense. Because it's the people like Kazul or the witch Morwen who don't act like she's the crazy one. Who are like, yeah, you're right. Morwen comes over and is like, he, she's the one who gives her the suggestions for signs. Like, like, oh, you're right. These princes are really annoying. Have you tried a sign? <laughs> Morwen is also just amazing. It's There's so many great women in this book. And I feel like, I don't know, like I had a certain number of books. I read a lot of books as a child that had a lot of male protagonists. So like for me, having all these sassy, snarky women in this fairy tale environment was just absolutely delightful. Yeah. And there's not really a romantic plot. Like Yeah. Like Alinora ends up with it, with, with a prince, stone prince, prince who came to try and rescue a princess. And it's nice. Like, oh, good. You go and be happy. But yeah, even through the end, Simmering, she's there to be a dragon's princess and that's the life she wants and that's the life she maintains yeah it's pretty cool i didn't really miss having a romantic plot either no. like it was all about her forging these relationships with the people she met but not yeah and there's so many really good friendships in it she really has these really good relationships with people where they both sort of end up with common goals or sort of have common desires and she finds ways to sort of make that become a quest for them like she and Eleonora sort of get together more and become more close when um, especially finding out that Simmering has found sort of this way to make fireproof potions, which when you're hanging out with dragons, sometimes they get a little antsy and a little fire breathy when they're all in one room. So it was kind of a way for them to stay safe and work together on this project. So there's a lot of sort of project-based friendship. Yeah, and like minor minor spoiler, they use that fireproofing spell all the time in the other books. I was like, oh, this is why you wrote a whole thing about her working so hard to find this spell. It's because it comes up. Every two sentences in these other books. That makes sense, because they definitely did, like, have a lot of time devoted to it. Yeah. Where it had an effect in the book, but it wasn't, it didn't seem as necessary as the amount of pages devoted to it. So that actually makes a lot of sense. It's because it's a big deal in future books. Like, the amount of, because they spent a lot of time looking for the ingredients. Like, there was a lot of drama over the ingredients for it to be used, but not not for the amount of pages. Okay, so that, that makes a lot of sense then. Thank you for that spoiler. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think the the great the great thing about this book is just the dialogue, really, for me. Because it was like, the plot was fine, but like I kind of was over it because I was like, well, I already know what happens and all that. So it's like, it's fine the first time you read it, or maybe even the first dozen times, because I've read this so many <laughs> times. The dialogue for me was still just like amazing. Like, it was just still just funny, and it felt like fresh and clever. It didn't feel like dated or anything. It was just really great. It's so fun and it's so snarky. And it definitely, you know, even as an adult, it felt really engaging. It was making me laugh and it was really enjoyable for a book that's, you know, focused at a bit lower of an age level than me right now. And the book is, the book's from 1990? Book's from 1990. So it's also not too far back in terms of it being written. Okay, so this quote, it's maybe not like, the funniest or the best, but I think it's a great example of what Cimarron is always like to everyone. So in this, a knight has shown up, someone she's never met, to try and rescue her. And this is her, like, talking to him. 
Kazul's not my dragon, Cimarron said sharply. I'm her princess. You'll never have any luck dealing with dragons if you don't get these things straight. She's gone to the enchanted forest on the other side of the mountains to borrow a crepe fan from a witch she knows. She's what? said the knight. She's gone to borrow a crepe pan, Cimarron repeated in a louder voice. Perhaps you'd better have your helmet checked when you get back. They're not supposed to interfere with your hearing, but sometimes... Oh, I heard you, the knight said, but what does a dragon want with a crepe pan? Uh, crepes. Crepes are delicious. I mean, the answer is that Cimarron just wants to make crepes, but... <laughs> yeah, but uh, they're also delicious. I know. That's just such a good example, I think, of what she's like. Correcting him constantly and being like, these dummies about everything, from how to talk to dragons, to his helmet not being right, to... You also got a title name drop in there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I've got a quote that I feel is also helpful for sort of illuminating Cimarron's behavior and self. It is when she is sort of still at home with her family and dealing with their expectations. Fencing is not a proper behavior for her princess, her father told her in a gentle but firm tone, recommended by the court philosopher. Cimarron tilted her head to one side. Why not? It's, well, it's simply not done. Cimarron considered, aren't I a princess? Yes, of course you are, my dear, said her father with relief. He had been bracing himself for a storm of tears, which was the way his other daughters reacted to reprimands. Well, I fence, Cimarron said, with the air of one delivering an unshakable argument. So it is too done by a princess. Her logic in so much of the book is so good of, well, if we're doing things the way that things are done, and if it's supposed to be done the way a princess has done it, I am a princess, so anything I do is how a princess should act. This is one more quote. It's near the end of the book, and it's when someone is kind of showing up to wrangle everyone who is standing around involved in any way with all the wizards to try and figure out, like, who's with the bad guys, who's not, what's going on. And so one of these, like, basically policeman dragons shows up and tells them all to come with him. And one of the other dragons is like, oh, you mean all the humans, not me, the dragon who is standing here. And so he says, I'll assume that doesn't apply to me, Warog grumbled. It certainly does, the escort dragon said. I said all, and I meant all. If I meant all the humans, I'd have said all the humans, or maybe some of you, or you over there, or all you non-dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's just a little quote, but it made me laugh. And I'm like, that informs so much of my humor and how I talk now and everything. I do that... want to use all you non-dragons in some sort of situation. Right? And But I feel like things like that quote are just everywhere in the book. Like, the whole book is just written that way. Of just, like, it's humor and it's funny enough for, like, an eight-year-old, but I still find it amusing because it's well-written and well-done and just throughout the whole book. Yeah, its dialogue is really enchanting. It really, it's just fun. It's so worth reading because it's just fun. So... That's my summary in my context. <laughs> That's all I got. So I think, was there anything that now reading this as an adult that, I mean, I know you remembered all of it. So was there anything that surprised you? Was there anything unexpected? No, I think it aged really well. I wish there was more description of the clothing she wears sometimes. <laughs> because she talks about having that magic closet and all the clothes in it. Okay, but all she true. ever says is that one time she wore a velvet dress and then... One time when all the princesses, there's like three other princesses that show up that are basically mean girls, and she describes them, and they hilariously are like, the prettiest one has diamonds, and then like, the next prettiest one has like, something else, and then the least pretty has like, pearls. And like, whenever she does describe clothing, I think it's great, and I wanted more of that. That was my only thing. That's fair. 
I just can't see her describing her own clothing much because I can't see that being important. But I feel like for a lot of the wizards and some of the other side characters, since so many of the characters, their clothing does sort of represent their position and a lot about the expectations on them. Yeah, I think it's because the dragons don't wear clothing, so she just stopped describing it. But I'm like, every time it did pop up, it was interesting. And I always want people to describe clothing in books. I never even picked up on that. That's very good. (laughs) Yeah, I, since I hadn't read it in so long, I didn't have any real expectations coming into it. So for me, I was really delighted with how fun it was and how good it was and how much I just really enjoyed reading the dialogue. And but now sort of thinking back, it is impressive how much of it is just sort of her learning things and how little stakes there are for so much of the book, but how much that really does work. It seems like the they do a good job, though, sort of building up. The wizards are up to something weird. The wizards are stealing magical information and magical spells. The wizards are doing weird things with plants. Like, they definitely do sort of keep a good focus on them throughout everything else that's going on. Like, it's, you know, thing happens. Oh, weird thing with the wizards. Other thing with the princess, more wizards. So they kind of do a nice job, I feel, sort of doling out the different plot lines together. Yeah, it's a little weird that, not weird in a bad way, but um, you really don't get to what they're doing until like the last two or three chapters. And you spend a good chunk of the book being like, the wizards are stealing rare books to find out information. How dare they? <laughs> and it's kind of a hilarious plot line because it's like, it's such a weird thing to be like, they're trying to find this forbidden info that's available in any book that we own. (laughs) I mean, it was only a couple books. It was rare books, and they were rare because a lot of the copies had gotten washed away in a flood with one of them. Yeah. And I guess they do have a lot of rare books. So, So, odds are. It's just a funny storyline to me, like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I felt like the whole tournament for for the King of the Dragons felt really fast. Like, we've gotten a lot of information about sort of the background on it and the stone and the history of it, but it felt weird. I felt like we should have met the King of the Dragons at some point. He was sort of mentioned a lot and came up, but I kept waiting for sort of something more with that position. But until Kazul got it, it was like, oh, there's a King of the Dragons somewhere. Who has done basically nothing for the situation that's going on. Yeah, the whole ending was rushed, but I didn't really care because I, by then, didn't care about the plot. I was like, yeah, whatever, as long as they're just having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I I mean, you know, I was really happy with how the ending turned out. Because you have Kazula's king, you have, you know, Cimarron being happy, and... You have Kazula as king, you have Cimarron being happy, and continuing on, and you sort of have that brief moment of, wait will I still be needed now that, you know, she's the king of the dragons? And then it's like, of course you will. Here, you need a different title. Okay, you're the archivist. You're you're the librarian. You're just, okay, we'll keep you around. So I think the fact that she was so proven useful was really great. And that they didn't make any, you know, they left the drama with that for about three seconds. And then they moved on, which was exactly what it needed to be. But yeah, I really enjoyed how it wrapped up. But that last, yeah, that last third of the book was really, really quick. And the wizards did not have a great plan. Like, it, it seemed like a good plan, but they were just off in the bushes. And the fact that no dragon noticed them was weird. The wizards aren't smart, but also they didn't have much stake in this game. They wanted to help him so that they could get, like, favors, basically. But I don't think they cared as much as the dragon who wanted to be king obviously cared. Yeah. 
Although they're getting access to all that magic. All that I magic. don't know, man. <laughs> wizard politics, am I right? That's true. I felt like we got a lot of wizards being dumb and wizards sort of failing at things, but not like not enough into the why. Plot line. Is there ever a why? They're just dumb. <laughs> okay. I can I can you know what? I can I can have that be the answer and I think that makes me feel better than knowing that there's an answer that we don't get to yet. I I can live with the wizards are just bad at everything. Given they're so often competent, I'm willing to go with wizards are just sort of that dumb cartoon villain who show up, rattle around a bit, and then immediately are are dispatched. Yeah, I feel like a lot of this world, up until a certain point, is a pretty low-stakes world. It's a lot of, like, I mean, there's stakes, but it's never, like, dramatic. It's not the kind of thing where it's like, don't let your six-year-old read this because there's deaths and murders and it's all very like happy world for the most part definitely let your six-year-old read this yeah yeah there's not a lot of high death stakes i mean her leaving so often if we do see princesses run away in books it's because something very terrible will happen while here she will be stuck bored so she runs off with a dragon where there's very little threat to her in general and sort of other than sheer annoyance but you're rooting for her so hard the idea of her being bored becomes horrifying you're like yes it would be terrible if she was stuck with those boring princes this would be the worst yeah it's not a dark world i guess is what i'm saying no it was pretty much as i remembered it it was a delight and if you haven't read it one million times you'll probably i mean the dragon politics are only boring after you've i like the dragon politics i will vouch for the fact that they are interesting the first time through or at least not terrible (laughs) But yeah, the characters are amazing, and this world is great. Definitely try this book out, and then, you know, go read the rest of them, too. Tell me which one's your favorite. Because like I said, this one is not my favorite. I don't know which one is my favorite yet. I've only read this one. So right now, this one is technically my favorite. Yeah. I'm going to fix that, aren't I? I don't know. Maybe it will stay your favorite. Emily is staring at me in a way that tells me this is not going to stay my favorite. (laughs) It's definitely not. I think I know which one will be your favorite. (laughs) Can you give me a hint? No. Damn it. Is it three? It was three. How did you know? <laughs> three's not my favorite, but I think there's a definite reason why you in particular will love three. So at some point we will be back with two and three, it sounds. And four. You can't read the three and not read four. Okay. <laughs> not for a while, but I we mean, will be back to that. We'll spread this out. Okay. So I guess, is there anything about any of the specific characters you want to get into that we didn't? I mean, they're all just great. And like I said, I am, it was nice that it was like a female heavy world, but not in such like an overt way. There were a couple of dudes. Most of them were bad. I think there was only one or two who weren't. The Stone Prince also I really liked because I thought Eleanor and the Stone Prince were really great in the sense that they were characters that really wanted to be a part of the world. They stuck sort of with the traditional stories for a prince and a princess, but they also sort of grew past it. They wanted something more. And so they found a nice balance of both living the stories they're expected to, but also in a way that lives their own stories. They fell in yeah. love and wanted to be together. They made friends with Simmering. They lived their own lives sort of within the context of the world. So I thought it was a nice balance between sort of the folks who were living in it and were really extreme and were sort of the characters that you kind of look down on a bit and then versus you know Simmerine and her awesomeness and Kazool you have the nice sort of balance in between with those two well, they were the people who were Cimarron is so like I don't want to be part of this world which is great and you're rooting for her but they didn't necessarily have a problem with it 
And it just showed you that, like, hey, not everyone who chooses to live in this traditional world is necessarily bad, which is fine. It's like deciding to live in the suburbs versus deciding to live in the city. You know, neither one of those is inherently bad. It's just like, choose your own path. Yeah. Do what makes you happy. Find the world that you can live in and make it fit in your own way. Yeah. They were very happy with Simran's life. They were very happy sort of living their own. And it was just really nice. And I thought they were also really good side characters to sort of help her out and assist in sort of create a nice bridge between some of the traditional things and um, sort of the world that Simran was building for herself. You get, like, a lot of, I would say, almost, like, neutral male characters. Like, I would even put the princess as that, because they're mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing, even if all they're doing is annoying Simran. Uh, and then you have the stone prince, who's good, and there's, like, uh, an elderly, kind of, like, bumbling uncle dragon, who's good, that you see, like, twice. <laughs> and that's pretty much it for, like, dudes in the book. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the bad guys, who are wizards. And, you know, war and, Yeah, the one bad dragon. Yeah. But it's interesting because it's like all of the characters that you really get to know are all female. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a nice, a nice, a nice jaunt. Rating? Yeah, I think so. So we are going to rate this book from 1 to 10 to sort of give a sense of what we thought in a numer- number form. So you could all know the number in our head and our hearts about this book. I think I'd give this uh, like an 8.5. This is one of my favorite books growing up. Rereading it was still delightful. I'm taking off a few points because I didn't care as much about dragon politics. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to give this an 8. I love the dialogue. I love the characters. But the plot definitely, while it didn't actually matter in the context of those two things, it wasn't, I wish it was a little stronger. I don't know how, because in a lot of ways, I feel like more of a plot might have even been to the detriment of all the fun sort of dialogue. But I felt like there wasn't quite enough there to give a higher. So I'm going to say an eight. You know, if I have a few cocktails in me, it might be a nine, but (laughs) I think an eight. So it sounds like we both recommend this book. And then, so also, is there anyone specific you would recommend this book to? I mean, I would recommend this to everyone. Yeah, I mean, buy it for any children in your life. Uh, Read it yourself if you want, like, a quick, easy read, you know? I'd say it's the perfect book for, like, subways. It's the kind of book you can, like, pick up and put down at any point. It's, like, easy to get into. But if you only have three stops to read, it's... Not too bad. Yeah. Delightful. Yeah, I think it's a fun book for basically everyone. So I would definitely recommend picking this one up. So I think that's everything that we have for you. I know we're a little low-key right now, but I hope you all enjoyed our first episode of the Throwback Book Stack. Um, Our next book that we'll be reading next time is The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle. So if you're interested in reading along with us, you can get a jump on that one. So thanks, everyone, and have a good night. Just one final note. Our music this week was Heartbreaker by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. And we'll be back in two weeks with our next episode. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.